Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, tonight we're going to be in James 5, or 4, 13 through 5, 6. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. What's up, friends? David, I love your enthusiasm. If you don't know me, um, I'm just a normal dude named Caleb and uh, an imperfect follower of Jesus. Yes, thank you, Drew. And yet at the same time, overwhelmed by God's goodness and grace. Um, Just even in worship, it's amazing. That first song we sang, so rich of just like the clarity of what God has done for us. Hmm. And I lose sight of that so fast, so fast. You know, just yesterday here at the offices, um, somebody put on a whiteboard, the question of the day, I don't even know who did it. And it was like, what's gonna be on your tombstone when you die? Just casual work question, right? And um, so a couple of the staff here were going around answering it, you know, and some had like really dope, serious, beautiful answers, you know, and then some had some funny ones. And, and so it was just a funny thing to actually think about, uh, whether flippantly or seriously for a second of like, what, what's going to be said about you when you die, you know, on your tombstone or at your funeral service? It's a grim start to our message. Welcome to Mosaic Young Adults. But I want, if I'm being honest, I don't know what I want in my tombstone. <laughs> I have no idea. But I do know that I, I don't want to waste my life. Like, I want to live a life that has meaning and has purpose and means something. And I was just reflecting on that of like different past moments, the last few weeks, months, even years. And 
thinking about different stories where it's like, man, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? And I was thinking about the ones where it was like that moment was because I didn't want to waste my life. I wanted my life to have meaning and purpose. And I, I thought a lot about my niece and nephew. They're, I think, four and one years old or about that. And um, it was my older brother and his wife's kids. And I got to go there for Thanksgiving. And, um, and I, I tell you what, when my brother called me four years ago or four and a half years ago, um, it was a Wednesday night, I remember it. It was after student ministry on a Wednesday night and we were over at Tijuana Flats afterwards and I got a phone call from my brother and I was sitting there eating with some of you guys that are leaders at student ministry and some of the students after the night. And I remember looking at the, my brother's calling me. I was like, Reese never calls me. And I picked up the phone and I was like, I just had this feeling. And I, I grabbed and I said, I'll see you guys in a second. I walked out and I walked out and I, pushed the door open at T1 Flats and, and I just knew it in my heart. And I was like, what up, Reese? What's up, homie? You never call me? And he was like, Caleb. And right there, I'm not even joking. It's not a lie. I just, I fell on my knees, kind of dramatic. I'm sorry. <laughs> at T1 Flats. And I was like, no. He was like, what? I was like, stop it. And he started laughing on the other end of the line. He was like, he was just laughing. And he's like, you gotta know my brother. He's got this quirky laugh. And I was like, are you serious? And he was like, what are you, I haven't even told you anything yet, you know? And I was like, come on, is it a boy or a girl? He's like, how'd you know? He's like, Claire and I were pregnant. And I was like, oh, and once he said it, it just like, and instantly this, this moment came over and like, I am gonna love this kid with everything I got. And it wasn't like a Caleb humanistic feeling. It was like a divine, like I get to be an uncle to this kid. I don't even know who she is, who he is yet, but I know I'm gonna love this kid. And I remember, I'm not even kidding. I was crying there before he even said anything, you know? And I wrote this beautiful letter to her. We found out that be a girl and her name's Ari and she was born and she was beautiful. And I got to hold her and it was amazing. And I wrote this amazing letter to her that maybe she'll read one day, maybe not, who knows? Probably just be along with all my other journals thrown away one day. Um, you ever had that feeling, you know, where it's like, am I, am I writing to myself um, or is someone gonna read this one day? And you have your write and you're like, maybe someone's gonna read this one day. And you just keep writing and you're like, I'm not really writing because I'm journaling, I'm writing because I want someone to read this one day, you know? This is not journaling anymore. And then you realize like, it's going on your bookshelf with your other five journals and that's just gonna go in the trash in like 25 years, you know? Anyways, that's a side note. This journal is going in the trash soon. Um, but I wrote this letter and, and I'll tell you what, that first year I, I prayed for and I felt like the moments I had with my niece were so meaningful. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I can see the grace of God in her life. Already. I, I, she's gonna love Jesus before she's even knows she can love Jesus. You know, like God's already working her heart. I, I know it, I can feel it, you know? And then two weeks ago, I babysat her for two days. And I got the privilege of uh, 48 hours watching this sweet child. And I, I came in so excited. You know, I came so excited. I was like best uncle of the century. And we're gonna party it up. We're gonna eat ice cream for dinner and breakfast. And they're not even gonna know about it. I won't even tell them. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be the best ever, right? And I, so I, I was not, I didn't really come in too prepared. I was like, I got this. I mean, I'm ready, you know? Like I'm Caleb and this is Ari and we're gonna kill it, you know? And so um, it was Saturday and we had the best time. 
they were amazing. We're having a great time. And, uh, but then, you know, we're getting ready for bed and I guess bedtime's tough for, for everyone, um, and including four-year-olds. And so we're trying to floss teeth and we're trying to, you know, change diapers and it's quite an experience. And it, it's bedtime's usually like seven, but it's now like 8.30. And, um, and she's like, can we just watch one, one Paw Patrol episode? And I'm like, Ari, it's like three hours past your bedtime. She's like, just one, K-Bub. And I was like, okay, okay, one Paw Patrol episode. So we sat down, we watched one. And it's like, she's brilliant, you know? She's already manipulating people. It's crazy, you know? It's like, there's like 30 seconds left in the episode. I don't know that because I don't watch Paw Patrol on the regular, you know? And so I'm just enjoying the show. I'm like, this is an amazing TV show. Whoa, like, let's go chase, you know? And, uh, and there's like 30 seconds left. And then all of a sudden she's like, okay, bub, one more. And I'm like, Ari, it's, I gotta get up early. And it's past your bedtime. I, 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 don't, I don't know. She's like, one more. And I was like, okay, okay, one more. So three more Paw Patrol episodes later, she's finally, we're in bed. You know, we're getting in bed. And she's like, can we just read one book, okay, bub? And I'm like, okay, one book, you know. She's like, it'll be the Bible. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know. And so we're in bed, we're reading the Bible together. It's beautiful. Jeez, I'm like, what's your favorite story in the Bible? And she flips to the crucifixion. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. Ah. Oh. So I don't know, maybe it was 1 a.m. at this point. I don't remember, just kidding. But I, I'm, I, I realize I have a lot left to do. So I'm like cleaning the dishes and I'm like sweeping. And I'm like, next thing you know, it is 1 a.m., and I'm finally getting in bed. And I, I gotta get up at seven on Sunday morning sometimes, you know, that's early. And um, so I know my alarm's set at like seven and, and my sister's gonna come over to, to take care of me while I come to church because I, I had to be here. And so um, I'm like, okay, that's like five and a half, six hours if I'm lucky, right? So I'm setting my alarm, right? I'm like, okay, I should probably pray. And I'm like, God, I love you. Thank you for today. And I'm just praying. And I'm like trying to fall asleep. And it's like, I'm, you know, 30 minutes, like probably 1.30, right? Finally I fall asleep. And then I wake up and it's 4.57 a.m. And my niece just wants to hang out. And so she comes running in to the room and I'm, I'm asleep. It's, it's, still, it's still dark out. It's before daylight savings time. I'm out, you know? And, and the, the, the welcomed greeting of Ari throughout the rest of the, the last three, four years has been like, oh! And she comes running in there and she's like, came up, came up, came up. And I wake up and I have no idea what came over me. But I was like, all right, go back to your room. And I don't think it was that bad, but it was way worse inside. And all this like anger came out of me. And like, I was like, I'm going to kill you. Gracie, I'm sorry. Um, it's true. And I mean, I obviously, but that, and I was like, whoa, whoa. And th the next 24 hours when I came back, it was rough. It was rough. It was not the best time ever. I was struggling and I was upset. And, 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 and I tell all this whole story to say like, like I want to, to live such an impactful life that people like Ari experience Jesus through me. And some moments I get it right. Some moments I, I, 
Man, my eyes are fixed on Jesus. I see this eternal purpose to do amazing things with my life. And I want to impact people. I want to live a life that people are like, whoa, my life has changed because I know Jesus through Caleb. But the truth is I mess it up a lot. My eyes get off of Jesus and on myself so fast. What do I want? What do I need? What, and my plans and, what, and I'm thinking about what my schedule I'm like and my schedule does not align with Ari's schedule and, or a lot of other people's schedules. And I miss it. I start to get so self-centered that anger comes out of me or fear comes out of me or anxiety comes out of me or, or control. And I feel like I have to control my life because other people don't get it and I'm not aligned with what they want and they're not aligned with what I want. And so what so easily can happen when my eyes come off of Jesus on myself is like, I am gonna live the way I wanna live. And this is basically the theme the whole theme of James. We've been together the last few months in this incredible book, the book of James. Um, and it's been incredible. It's been amazing. Um, if you are just joining us and you haven't gotten to listen to messages, you can podcast them. And it's been so cool. And one thing I've loved about James, just before we go into a little backstory, but it's so important for us to know is like, James is just straight to the point. <laughs> He's so straight to the point. Like if he doesn't hold any punches back, he's like clear, he's so clear. Like um, I read this one fact about the book of James that there's 50, let me look it up, 59 commands in 108 verses. And so if you've ever read the book of James, he does not hold back any punches. It's so clear and he's so practical. You know, like James used to be my favorite book of the Bible because when you read it, it's like, you don't have to leave with very many questions. You got answers. It's like, do this, do this, do this, do this, or you, you don't love Jesus, you know? And so James is so, so, so practical. And it's been amazing to be um, in this book together. And a couple things that I was just reminded of that as we come back into the book of James tonight is that um, James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? Jesus uh, had some other brothers and sisters that we know about in the New Testament. And James was one of them. And James, we know, did not believe in Jesus before the, de- the crucifixion. James denied that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't want anything to do with him. He denied him as even his brother, probably. And so James, before the crucifixion and before the resurrection, didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, But this is a profound thought. It's very possible, actually, most likely, this is not in scripture, but scripture alludes to some of these things that would give us evidence that at some point between the resurrection And the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, James, his eyes were opened that his half-brother Jesus was his savior. Very possibly, Acts chapter two, the famous story, Acts chapter one and two, where the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples and they start teaching about how Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. And thousands of people heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their own language. And they were so moved by it, that they put their faith in Jesus. And in that moment, the church, uh, the people that followed God that we would call the church went from like 50 to 500 to thousands within one day. And very possibly James was amongst them. Profound thought. And, and what's even crazier is that the next few chapters of Acts, we see that 
not only in Jerusalem in, in that moment where, where the Holy Spirit came, did thousands of people come to know Jesus, but a lot of them were coming visiting because there was this festival going on that was very common for people to come from all around Jerusalem, all the regions of, uh, of the Middle East to come to there to celebrate the Passover. And, and then after that, to celebrate another feast after Passover. And so a lot of them that came to know Jesus were from all these areas. And so they were there and a lot of them were staying and a lot of them stayed for months in this beautiful, huge church emerged in Jerusalem right then and there. And so within a few months, this church was a mega church, but a lot of them started to realize that God was calling them back to their hometowns. And so we started to see in Acts chapter three, four, five, six, seven, that the gospel spreads and it's beautiful. It's not just for the Israelites, the Jews in Jerusalem. It is for the whole world that Jesus came for every person to know him. And so these people go back to their hometowns and the gospel is spreading everywhere and churches are popping up everywhere and persecution starts to come in where people are starting to get attacked for their faith in Jesus and it gets really messy. People are being um, put in prison. But James is becoming one of the leaders, becomes one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. We see this in Acts chapter 15. He's one of the leaders one of potentially the church elders in this mega church in Jerusalem. And his life is radically changed. And he watches the world change in 10 years. 10 years, he watches cities and nations be transformed by the gospel. And then he starts to watch something unfold. As the persecution comes, so does false teaching. People are pretending to be Christians, but we're not. And difficulties amongst community. This crazy thing happens when human beings hang out, they hurt each other. And we see that even this beautiful community that is designed by God has spaces of hurt and brokenness and sin that seeps into it. And it's almost like this tug of war is happening. And 10 years into this unbelievable miraculous work of God, it's almost feeling like as, as Jesus was pulling people towards him. Now all of a sudden, sin is pulling people away from him. And James is broken heart over it. And so he writes a letter. He writes a letter. And the essence of the letter is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a few different ways he does that. He does that in one by talking about suffering. Now, suffering is that everyone will suffer, but suffering is actually a means by which God uses to make us more like Jesus because Jesus suffered. When we suffer, we're not alone and we become more like him. And so this beautiful thing in chapter one, that's a very difficult sentence, but he talks about suffering a lot. He also talks about um, dynamics within the church relationally with one another and with God. And one of them is favoritism. In chapter two, AKA, um, when you're seeking human approval above God's approval, how it destroys community and relationships and it distorts the beauty of the gospel. He talks about spiritual maturity or AKA wisdom and about how to grow in wisdom and asking God for it because God is full of wisdom and by wisdom, he created the universe. And a part of wisdom is having self-control over the tongue. He talks about how your words devour and hurt one another and, and we should have self-control by the power of the spirit when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that we would not use our words to tear down, to build ourselves up, but we use our words to build up and not tear down. He talks about so many of these things and he talks about one of our favorite things as young adults and that's money. He loves talking about money. So actually real quick, this message is sponsored um, by 
me. So if you'd like to uh, donate, there's my Venmo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so he talks about all these things and money is one of the things we're gonna be getting into tonight because uh, he talks about these things and many others. But just to give you a recap, two weeks ago, Caesar was teaching about the end, the middle, the beginning and middle of chapter four. Um, we saw that when your eyes are taken off Jesus and on yourself, how it produces passions that are around you for the world, for the things of the world, money, um, sexuality. Um, I, I, man, what are some other examples you use? I forget, but you can read it if you want to, chapter four. But the point is that when that happens, it distorts and destroys community. And that our eyes should be fixed on the gospel. And when it does, it creates life and beauty within God's church. And so we just talked about that two weeks ago and he's gonna continue that thought, but he's gonna now hone in on one specific group of people for a second. The verses that Jacob just so graciously read for us that we all read together a second ago, James is honing in on one specific group tonight for a second. Still in the context of your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, you get caught up on yourself or the world around you. But in this case, it has to do with more of materialism and money and circumstances. So let's go there. Chapter four, verse 13. Sorry. All right. Uh, James says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, I love it. This is a great, great example of James right here. This is not the way I talk, okay? Like we were making a joke this week about like if James was leading a church, it would either be the largest church in, in Central Florida or it would be the smallest church in Central Florida because he's just straight to the point. And I love it. We're, when we've been in the book of James, I felt really at home um, because Caesar and James are very similar. They're straight to the point. Um, I, I'm kind of like, if I, was in a, if I was a writer of scripture, I'm not, by the way, very clearly. But if I was, I'd be a little more like John. I'd be like, God loves you. He loves you. And when you sin, there's an advocate. So that'd be like the way more I'm wired. So like James, straight to the point, he's like, hey, you, you, you map out your life. You're like, I'm going to go here tomorrow. I'm going to schedule lunch this way. Ooh, I'm going to do some online business, trading some crypto this way. I'm going to maybe gamble on Sunday's game for the Packers. And uh, then Monday, ooh, I might sleep in a little on Monday. You know, he's like, you guys are crazy. You're going to die. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't actually say, but he's like, who, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? You, you planning out your life and you're like, I'm gonna go here and go there. And, and, and he's like, and this is, he's, this is a verse from Job. You're a mist. Job is crying out to God. And he's like, oh God, who is, I'm going through all this pain. What is life? We're just like a mist. We're here today and then we die tomorrow. And James is reminding him like, yo, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. Now, this is really important. This is super important. Hear, hear me on this, hear us on this. Is it wrong to plan your life out? Trick question. Not really. Tough question. No, of course not. James is not condemning us for planning our lives out. Is God a planner? Yeah. God's a pretty good planner. That's a character quality of God. He maps things out. 
right? So clearly James is not condemning anyone for mapping out their lives. They're not condemn, he's not condemning us for using a schedule, right? For going, I want having a five-year plan, a 25-year plan, right? A one-week plan, a one-hour plan. He's not condemning that at all. It's not about the, the scheduling, the planning. That's a God-given uh, gift. That's a beautiful thing. We, we're, we have the freedom to, right? We have the freedom to think about the future, imagine the future, plan the future together. Actually, we're invited by God to do that with him. So it's, he's definitely not condemning schedules here. What he's condemning is the posture of this particular people of people, this particular group of people that have enough money and have enough means, have enough opportunity that they start to drift away from thinking they need God and now they just can do it on their own. And this is, this is really us so quickly. I was kind of studying a little bit this week on, it'd be really easy to, sorry, I started a sentence and went to another one. <laughs> I was studying this, little, this week a little bit on incomes in America and in the, the whole world and all that. And it'd be really easy to look at this section of scripture and be like, this is for the rich, the wealthy. That's not me. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Um, when I was 21 and I was at Young Adults, I remember, I remember the story. Um, I, when I was 21, I was at Young Adults. I was preaching one day and we were talking about a passage with money. And I was like, I put on my bank account, I looked at it and it was like negative $18 in my, in my checking. So if you're here and you're like, I got no money in my bank account, like you might think this doesn't apply to me. This is talking about people who have wealth. But the reality is that actually, um, just a couple quick facts for you. The average income, okay? The average household income in the entire world. Any guess on what it is? Any guesses? Average income from a household globally. $12,000. $12,920 to be exact. Guess what the average household income is in the United States? $74,580. If you work just minimum wage today at a part-time, you would make more than the average household globally. Okay, so James is not talking to just these extremely elite people who have a ton of money to blow it on jet skis and, and trips to Hawaii, okay? I don't know why those were be both water beachy, but um, he's speaking to people who have the opportunity to and the freedom to make decisions with the resources they have that they could drift away from thinking they need God. And that's probably all of us. Where I have enough opportunity, I have enough means to make decisions for my life, to plan out things to where I could make a way for myself. I could build a life where I actually don't need God. If I just work hard enough at this, if I just save enough here, if I just go to school in this way, if I just meet these people, if I just have these mentors, if I just do this thing, then I, you might not say it, but in your heart, you're saying, I wanna be God. I can build my life to I don't need God. I still go to church. I'll still say, God, I love you. You're awesome. Bless me or I need you. But in your heart, you, you want to be the God of your own life. You wanna be in control of your own life. And this is so easy for all of us to do. So this is what James is actually speaking to is the heart posture of, I'm gonna plan my life. Maybe, maybe think about God a little bit, but really I'm the one who's in charge. And James is saying, yo, remember who's actually in control of everything. It's not you. And don't let your means and your circumstances and your opportunities blind you from that reality of your desperate need for God because your life is here now and then it's gone. You don't know how long you have. So don't waste it. Don't build a life thinking you don't need God. 
And then he goes on to say, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will leave and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Is James saying every single text, every single sentence like, hey, do you want to come, you know, hang out tonight? If the Lord wills it, you know, oh, do you want to come to my birthday party? I don't know if the Lord wills it. Not necessarily. If you take up that language, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I sometimes use that language. It's not about the language. You can use that language, but it's about the heart. Are you trusting God with the decisions you're making in your life or are you trusting yourself in the world you're building? That's what he's saying is trust Jesus with the decisions you're making, big or small. See, some of these are big decisions like traveling from one town to another was a big decision for these people back then. They, they did not do that necessarily a lot, but it's also the smallest decisions. Do you trust God for what, you, what clothes you put on this morning? The conversations you had tonight in the lobby? What were the motivations of those? To build your kingdom? Or to be led by Jesus's kingdom? Man, the heart of, God, what do you want with my life? James is about to get to it, but it is way more worth it than a life that says, I don't really need you, God. I can build my own life pretty good. Then he says this, and this sentence is so beautiful. We could spend a whole message on it. So we will, 40 more minutes. Here we go. Just kidding. Um, verse 17. So in conclusion, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is so interesting. Because I think a lot of times in modern day Christianity, we're always thinking about not doing the bad things. Don't do this, don't do that. Oh, if I just stop doing that, maybe God will love me which is bad theology himself. But James elevates it even more. He's like, yo, it's not even just don't, don't stop doing the bad things. Do the good things you already know you should be doing. And one thing you find with James that's so interesting is a side note that the context of his books is it's so similar to the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, you can parallel so many verses to the way Jesus talked, which is so fascinating to me. Talking about the grace of God that James, while Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, is like, yo, that's not my brother. He's an idiot. And then he's basically using the same sermon style 15, 20 years later. Ah, oh, so beautiful how merciful our God is, even to his own half-brother. And so, what was the point of that? Um, oh, Jesus, he elevates it in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just like, hey, you know, if someone's nice to you, be nice back to them. He's like, even if someone's mean to you, be kind to them. That's what James is doing. He's not just saying, don't just do bad things. But if you know in your heart, there's something good to do and you don't do it, it's the same as just doing a bad thing. What? Let me just be real with you for a second. Not jokingly. That's scary to me. If we actually take this verse seriously for a second, that's scary, yo. There's about a hundred good things I know I'm supposed to do every day. Like, like, let me just use one example that came to mind right now, okay? I moved back home with my parents. It's been awesome. You should try it. And um, most nights I get home and my mom is still awake. Doesn't matter if I get home at seven o'clock p.m. or midnight. Um, she's still awake. Hi, mom. And uh, she's right over there. And um, 
I love you. And, uh, and I know my mom loves me. She really does. She's a great mom. And I know that our relationship's been strained in different seasons of our lives for various reasons. And so I know when I moved back in, she was excited um, because she wanted to keep building our relationship. And at first I was excited too. Uh, but then I'd have a tough day at work or I'd get a weird text that I didn't like that made me feel like I wasn't cool enough or awesome enough or good enough. Or I don't know, fill in the blank. I got a migraine and I get home and I started to find myself as I was approaching home, mapping out how to get to my room without having to encounter my mom. Not because my mom's not awesome, not because I don't love her, but for various reasons, I found myself knowing in my heart I should stop and say hi to my mom because it's a good thing. And I wanted to do anything but that. And so if we were just measuring Caleb's life for a second, with just that one example, that one tiny example of the last 300, 400, 600 days, I probably over 50% have failed at it. So in summary, James uses this to summarize basically the whole last chapter. If you wanna know how to live in community in a way that honors God, if you, if you uh, summarize the whole last chapter in the sentence, then just simply do this. Do the good you're not supposed to do. This is not good news for us, except for the fact that there's someone who always did the good that he knew he should do. And that's Jesus. The good news of this sentence is that, what, first off, what is the good things we're always supposed to do? There's a lot of different things to talk about, maybe saying hi to your mom when you get home. But if you just simplify it according to the scriptures, just you summarize the scriptures, it's just simple. Love God and love each other. That's the good you're supposed to do. That's how Jesus summarized the whole Bible. Love God and love one another. That's the good James is talking about right here. But even that we fail at, but Jesus never failed at that. He always loved his father perfectly. And he always loved those around him perfectly. And the good news of the gospel is that you and I can't do this last verse in chapter four, but Jesus did on our behalf. And now it's him in us that enables us to do the good that we know we're supposed to do. So this verse can leave you feeling like a failure or it can lead you feeling free. And the freedom comes from knowing the gospel is Jesus fulfilled the perfect good at every moment. He always did what's good. He always said hi to his mom when he got home. And he gave us his spirit. So now we are able as best we can in his power, by his grace, to do the good that we're called to do. Okay, beautiful. James continues, and he kind of changes tones for a second here. And it's possible, depending on, there's a little bit of debate between Caesar and I um, about, <laughs> and many others, uh, <laughs> about who, who's, who's James talking to right here. Um, this next few verses, we're just gonna read them all in one bunch because I'm, probably 10 minutes over time. Uh, and uh, 
there's a little bit of debate here. Is this continuing the same audience, the same rich audience, or is this a whole new audience? Some scholars would say, this is a whole new audience. These are probably not Christians. They're wealthy non-believers who are in the church thinking they're Christians, but they're really not. Some would say, no, these are still Christians, but they're really failing at being Christians. And so you'll see what I'm getting at in a second. Here's why they did. But either way, the conclusion and the outcome is gonna be the same. I'll show you, okay? I won't show you the scripture show us, sorry. Um, let's read it. Chapter five, verse one. So come now, you rich. So it seems like he's changing audiences or at least he's changing context within that audience. You rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Yo, James is wild. You have laid up treasures in the last days, meaning you've laid up treasures that are not gonna last. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not even fight back or resist you. We could do a whole message on just these five verses too. Six verses, sorry. But in simplicity, it's, it's quite a warning, quite a warning. James is not afraid to warn. Praise God for people who are not afraid to warn. I'm scared of warning people sometimes. James is not. God is not. God is not afraid to warn you because he knows that the outcome he has for your life is far better than the outcome you have for yourself. And so it's his love to warn you. It's his love to warn you. So whether you're in the room and you don't have your faith in Jesus and this does apply to you, you like to manipulate people and gain things on this earth so that you can build up your life or you do have your faith in Jesus and you find yourself sometimes messing up and using other people to propel you forward. Either way, man, this is a strong, strong warning. And it reminds me of this concept of, well, James alludes to it, when we get to heaven. Just imagine with me, you know, we die, we get to stand before God. And it seems like James is saying here that it's possible. It's possible. I, I don't know. I didn't do enough study to say this is exactly true, but it's possible that when we get to heaven, we will get to see Jesus or the father on his throne or both, but that there'll be some form of our life's work next to us. I don't know. You know, maybe it'll be like as big as the room. I don't know. Imagine with me, however your imagination runs, but imagine your life's work whatever you built up, whatever you invest into, whatever you spent yourself living for will be around you. And you and God and whatever you invest your life into will be right there. And James is saying, anything that was not built upon Jesus is gonna burn up and be worthless, worthless. And anything that was built on Jesus will last forever. Mosaic young adults, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Invest into his kingdom. Not the, the world around us is, is awesome, it's beautiful. But keep eternity in mind. Keep Christ in mind. Ask him to transform your desires and the motivations of your heart that he would long for his will in the decisions that you make. And we will build up things that will last forever. We will invest into stories and lives and people and community and businesses and things and schools and 
that will last forever. That's the way I want to live my life. That's what we're invited into here. And you might be thinking I'm closing, but I have one more point. Because that was a pretty hype moment. I was excited right there. But I have to. I can't help myself because I planned this. I learned about this website this week, and it's Christmas time, you know, and so we started to think about what do I want? What do my friends want? You know, do you, does anyone have a Christmas list? Is that a thing? Is that a thing young girls do, or is that not a thing? Don't be ashamed. It's okay. Okay. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't. That's not the way I'm wired, but there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Well, some. I, I hang out with students with student ministry sometimes and someone some somewhere's telling me about, I was like, yo, nice shoes. We're getting them like StockX. And I was like, what's that? You know? And um, so I went on StockX today. Yo, I got a Christmas list now. <laughs> Let me show you a couple of them, okay? This is my first one. Hey, yo. 64 bucks. If you Venmo, if you want to Venmo, we go put up that Venmo again real quick. No, I'm just, uh, 64 bucks, yo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't, don't bend when we ride, we'll cry. Um, uh, it's all the Lord's anyways. The Lord, money's the Lord's. Oh, let's go. That's, that's not really mine, but let's just, you know, maybe, you know. Ooh, okay, pause. Don't go too fast, Jade. How much do you guys think that's worth? How much? Someone said 14,000? 75 bucks? $1,590. I know. I want them, you know? Just kidding. Uh, you know, go, go to the next one. I would guess those are 1590 Those are only 800 bucks, okay? Go back to the other one. How are those $1,500 and those 800 bucks? I don't know, okay? Oh, not those, not those. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Um, oh, wait, Caesar. What? How'd your shoes get on there? Okay, let's go to the next one. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, check this one out. Does anyone know what these are? Ho, ho, ho. I don't either, but I think there's something about dunks. Uh, oh, you, James, James knows. Not James, the author of scripture, but that James. Um, diamonds, I heard. Diamond dunks, these are 3,300 bucks, yo. Now, listen, you're probably, you're probably sitting there going, Caleb, I get your point. You wanna talk about materialism and, and how that distracts us from living for the kingdom, but I got you. I'm not a shoes person. I don't really care about those sneakers. Well, just hold up. Check this out. Yo, look at that TV. <laughs> now that's good quality, uh, not a good quality picture, but it's a $3,000 TV, okay? All right, now maybe you're not a TV person, but wait for this one. Oh, a heffalump stuffed animal. Let's go. You know that's on your Christmas list. Okay, what about the next one? Not Venmo, go to the next one. Yo, anybody want that for Christmas? All right, all right, all right. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Let me holler at you for one second. We wrap up here. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, just to wrap up, seriously though, it is, there's a problem in our country that is not the same problem in other countries. Same heart issue, but the circumstances are different. We have access to so, so much. And that is a gift from God. We shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, we shouldn't be mad that we have so many options. No, that's a gift. But don't let that gift distract you from the whole point of your life. Man, the next four weeks, 
fight against, be vigilant to fix your eyes on Jesus and not the things that you think will satisfy or build your life because they won't. If anything's getting in the way of that, I would just encourage you, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read James 4, and just go give it away and invest in something that's gonna last forever because it's not worth it. And maybe you're like, oh, Caleb, that sounds so extreme, but it starts so small. It's not always like we're just like spending thousands and thousands and thousands. Oh, that, you're like, that's not, no, that's not what I'm getting at. It starts small. It starts small. Oh, I want that. Oh, he has that. Oh, she has that. Ooh. And then that small thing builds and builds. And next thing you know, we long for this life and all that it offers. And we forget that Christ is our life. James warns us so strongly and so beautifully that the pursuit of wealth isn't evil. It's just that wealth makes a terrible, terrible God. That our security is not on this earth. It's in Jesus and living for his kingdom. You are secure in Christ, not in what you build, but in what Christ has already built. Let's be a community that has a legacy that when we die and we meet Jesus, maybe, just maybe, it'll be like James. Think about this for a second. James wasted probably about 25 to 30 years of his life. And then he met Jesus for the first time. And then he didn't know this, but 10 years later after writing us, maybe about 15, he would be killed. So he only got to follow Jesus on earth for about 20, 25 years. But I imagine when he got to heaven and he stood before his half brother on earth, but his savior for eternity, Jesus looked at him and didn't say, ooh, why'd you doubt me, bro? He said, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You invested those 25 years into eternal things and it was worth it. Let's pray. God, I'm gripped with emotion right now because I believe everything that you just said to us through your word. But I know, I know myself. And even though I'm inspired and moved by you right now, an hour from now, I could totally forget about you. Please, God, be gracious to us to fix our eyes on you regularly, even in the littlest of things. Help our unbelief. God, if there's any way that we are building our lives without you, not even just your counsel or your authority, but just for our own gain or because we think we don't need you. Be gracious to us and fix our eyes on you. And may God please you increase that in our community as well. That we would love each other the way you love us. We'd be kind and merciful to one another. We would plan how to love each other well. We would plan in our calendars, good works to do for one another and for our community. And God, we pray that 
you would be gracious as you are to anyone who's so caught up in this community or outside of it around us, God, that we encounter, that is so caught up in this world that they can't see you and they don't think they ever could. Show them that you're not mad at them. You're not ready to smite them. You long for them to have freedom, to have an eternal life, that what they do on this earth will matter forever. Show them that so that we wouldn't just have more people doing good things, but we'd have people investing into eternal things, not things that are going to be gone 20 years from now. And we thank you, you will do it. You promised you will build your church. You've saved us. You've brought us together. You've sanctified us. You've made us love you. So we know you will continue till that day where we come to you face to face and you will show us all that we invested into, but we won't care because we will see you and know that it was all worth it because you're worth it. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.